This is Sex Ed Debunked, a cross-generational podcast hosted by mother-daughter duo, Christine and Shannon Curley, where we talk about all the things you learned or didn't learn in sex ed and where it all went wrong. From the abstinence curriculum to the monogamy myth and the vast spectrum of rainbow representation, we'll get real about sex positivity and catch you up on everything from proper anatomy to the holistic benefits of a great sex life. Tune in to Sex Ed Debunked wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us at Sex Ed Debunked on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hi, and welcome to episode two of Sex Ed Debunked, a podcast about comprehensive sex ed, sex positivity, and why watching The Miracle of Life is maybe more traumatizing than it is useful. We're your hosts, Christine and Shannon Curley. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we'll be talking about the myth of the birds and the bees. Buzz, buzz. The birds and the bees is a myth because it assumes that if you know about the biology, or in most cases, the anatomy, meaning the parts, you know enough about sexuality to do the things. <laughs> uh, as a reminder, last time we talked about sex ed in the United States and debunked the myth that it's in any way comprehensive. Um, as a second reminder, one of the worst states for sex ed is, hold your shock, and this is going to shock everyone, um, that's right. Texas. <sighs> Boo. So obviously we'd be remiss to not talk about the recent appalling <laughs> abortion legislature, aka crimes, going on in Texas. So before we jump into this topic for this week, let's talk about why we probably could have seen this coming with Texas. It's a little hard to know where to begin with Texas, but one thing I'm going to remind you guys is Texas thinks they have comprehensive sex ed and a couple of facts about Texas. Um, they emphasize sexual abstinence before marriage. Bad idea. <laughs> they state that homosexual conduct is not an acceptable lifestyle. Horrific. News to me. And they teach that sexual activity before marriage is likely to have har harmful psychological and physical consequences. And... Um, how well has that worked out? Well, they have one of the highest unwanted pregnancy rates in the entire country and in the world. And to, by way of contrast, when we talk about the Netherlands, we talk about the Dutch, we talk about other Western cultures that have comprehensive sex ed, one, kids actually have sex at a later age. Kids are much more comfortable taking responsibility for their sex lives. And there's a lot less unwanted pregnancies. And when I say a lot less, nine times less. So Texas is going about this ass backwards. And <laughs> clearly, um, this is not about a right to life. This is about controlling women. Right. I mean, Texas has, I mean, abortion itself is, it's a woman's issue. It's a men's issue. It's a race issue. It's a class issue. It's a human issue. But in Texas, they've seemingly decided that above else, all else, it's a political issue. Um, and I've got to tell you, weaponizing women's bodies as a battleground for political bargaining a bunch of, bunch of old white men uh, really makes me feel some type of way. Yeah. And, and it's hard to kind of, um, I mean, obviously, we can't cover this all of this in one podcast. But really what the point I'm trying to get across is if they really, if t states like Texas, places who really strongly, strongly believe in 
um, reducing the number of unwanted pregnancies and reducing the number of abortions, the way to do it is through sex education and telling kids about sexuality at a really young age. What they're doing in Texas right now is an affront to constitutional rights, the rights to privacy, body autonomy, um, the right to private health care information. Um, it's bringing it back to really the dark ages, which is quite um, frightening. But bringing it back to the myth we're debunking today, that the birds and bees is all there is, what they're doing in Texas is just talking about anatomy, and they're just talking about the physical biology. They're forgetting that sexuality is more than biology and anatomy. They're forgetting about emotions, psychological components, and social contexts of sexuality. So the birds and the bees, and yeah, like there's obviously more to it, but even the birds and the bees, this was something that was interesting to me because I didn't know the origin of this. So I looked into it because, of course, even just when you think about it beyond the slightest surface level, the birds are what, like, what is birds and bees as it relates to human sexuality? Are Like birds are allegedly like the female in sexual intercourse because they lay eggs. Like we don't, <laughs> we don't do that. And then the bees are the male because they pollinate flowers, which is just, I mean, really? So I was curious about this and I did some Googling. Um, and so initially these phrases of the birds and the bees were used in like pastoral poetry. So like Samuel Coleridge, whatever, but it was never explicitly sexualized. And then it wasn't until um, Dr. Emma Francis Angel Drake, uh, try fitting that on a Scantron card, published The Story <laughs> of Life in 1909. And that's when that phrase started being used to describe intercourse. Um, but the interesting thing is that the story of life itself wasn't that popular when it was initially published. What happened was that it got picked up by Safe Council, which oh. was a home medical reference book in the late 19th and early 20th century. Um, and unfortunately, Safe Council sounds okay on its own until you find out that the alternate title for Safe Council was Practical Eugenics. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. That hurts. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I was looking at, I was seeing if I could find a copy of it, but then I also didn't want to, you know, spend money on buying a copy of Practical <laughs> Eugenics. But an Amazon review of the book says, and I quote, um, if you want to understand how the Nazis could do what they did, read this book. So again, yikes. Um, and maybe let's move away from the whole birds and the bees thing, right? Like now that we know, maybe we should never speak of it ever again. Also, uh, not to at Texas, but I'm going to go ahead and at Texas. It sounds a lot like what they're doing right now. <laughs> it really does. And it's, it's you know, the birds and the bees has become part of our vernacular, right? It's right. how we feel comfortable and we're like, oh, I'm going to tell them about the birds and the bees. And it is completely irrelevant. However, to the extent it allows us to bring up a conversation and say, you know, let's start with birds and the bees. It's perfectly fine to start with anatomy, but um, there's a lot more to it. So let's start a little bit. I was just wondering, Shannon, and I know this is kind of maybe going to throw myself under the bus, but uh, do you remember when I talked to you about the birds and the bees? Yes, I remember when you told me I was a bird. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, the. I think the extent of the conversation that we had was completely just related to uh, getting your period. And I do remember because we were at a, a pub. Sorry. It was like, you're like, let's go out to dinner. That'll be so nice. And I was oblivious to the fact that that was a setup. Um, and then I remember realizing something was off because we ordered an appetizer. 
<laughs> I was like, this is so unusual. We never we never do this. This must be a special event. And the special event was you being like, so by the way, um, your body is going to start changing and you're going to bleed a bunch. And I was like, what? But I think also Sorry. the reason why it was such a difficult conversation for me and like such a kind of, you know, off-putting conversation for me was because up until that point, I barely had any conception of my own body. So then to have the first conversation be, it's going to start like bleeding and you're now you can have a baby when you're yeah, 12 I know. like I'm sorry but it wasn't I mean but it wasn't your fault the point is like the conversation should start earlier and it should also be more comprehensive because if the first thing I learn about my body is that it's gonna like bleed <laughs> that's not a great intro to like here's how your body works and here's how you interact with it oh that's true and that's why like the next podcast we're gonna really devote a whole a whole show to kind of talking about better ways to start talking with your kids and you know maybe your niece or your nephew too about the birds and the bees but in my defense um my birds and the bees talk with my mom um we should stop saying birds and the bees we should call it something else yeah well the first talk and i don't even want to call it the talk my first body talk let's say the first time i was told that my body is going to change from that of a kid to something different. Um, my mom was definitely, as I, th I think we mentioned in other podcasts, very strict Catholic. Um, me and my sister got a box put on each of our beds. <laughs> um, and it was um, all of the things you need to know about getting your period. And back then, it was um, sanitary pads and belts, which is very sorry, frightening. A belt? Yep. Yep, there was no adhesive back then. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. And I Oh, okay. No word of a lie. I really thought that I was hoping I would be the first woman on the face of the earth never to get her period. So <laughs> I feel like I probably had the similar feeling though. And and I got my period really late, so I was I was really optimistic. I was like this is it. I might miss out. Well, mother daughter, I guess. But anyway, we don't want to go too down too far down that road except the point being that most kids all they learn about is biology and when they do they learn it at a time where it's kind of tr almost too late because we they haven't spent their whole upbringing talking about it so the myth there is not only shouldn't you say the birds and the bees but it's certainly not enough obviously this topic was really important to you to talk about even before texas went you know full handmaid's tale on us um but Let's talk about more about the relationship between anatomy and sex and sex education. You know, what is that bridge between understanding your anatomy and moving towards more positive sex education? I will start by saying, let's get a little academic for a minute. The reason that the talk was allowed to be about the body and anatomy is the the people in the movement to say, we need to start bringing sex education into schools, for example, had to find a way to get around the moral judgment. So it was a loophole. It was a loophole because they turned it into science <laughs> and they turned it into about being about facts. And you can talk about facts in school, which is which is like, <laughs> well, now you can't. But <laughs> now you can't. There was a time you could talk about facts in school. But at least it's it was intended as a starting point. And unfortunately, in most school systems and in most environments, it's the end point. And really, as we talked about in the first um, podcast, there needs to be more talk about personal relationships and morality is not 
what we want to bring into the classroom. And so what happens is because sex education stops at biology, kids are forgetting and they're not being taught the feelings, the emotions, mm-hmm. the the context, and the things that they really have to know about growing up. So biology, not only is it not enough, but it's being taught poorly. They don't tell kids about more than one gender. Mm-hmm. It's all binary. They don't properly identify parts, mm-hmm. which is horrific. Right. So those are part of the downfalls of even how it's already been done. Right. So. Of course, this makes me think about my own experiences with, you know, obviously our birds and bees, our body talk was pretty limited, but also like in school, this is something they're supposed to start talking to you about pretty early on. But I remember boys and girls, you know, quote unquote, boys and girls um, being split up into different rooms to talk about anatomy. Like, yep. and I remember explicitly that our health instructor said, what we talk about doesn't leave this room. And it's like, well, yes, it does, because we're going to go out into the world and beat people with bodies. So it is going to leave this room. But what are your like from an academic Ugh. standpoint and from a what's wrong with that standpoint, like there's obviously we understand what's wrong with it, but what's wrong with it? Well, I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm kind of shocked that that was your experience too, because 30 years ago, it was the same thing. Everybody go into separate rooms. And what does that do? What does it do? It creates shame. It creates this feeling of one, othering, mm-hmm. right? We're not all in this together. Well, um, last I checked, we are all in sexuality together, and we shouldn't be separating the boys, the girls. And who's to say, you know, you've got so many kids these days that aren't identifying as a gender. So how the hell are they even separating kids right now? Well, I mean, that's what I was thinking is it's oh, boys go over here, girls go over here. That just forces people into boxes. It forces kids into boxes. And I know that the conversation about gender has evolved considerably over the years, but I have no trouble believing that the boys go to one room, girls go to another is still the way that this is being taught in school. I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. I'll have to um I'll have to ask some of my friends who have school age kids what they think about that. And you know, and and I think one of the things we have to keep in mind is what this does is it makes this whole evolution of how our bodies change as something that we're supposed to keep hidden. Right. And so it's starting from at a young age this perception that sex isn't a good thing, that your body isn't a good thing. Right. So you're starting like body shaming at the age of like nine. That's ridiculous. Well, and it, and then it results in, you know, not just discomfort with your body, but discomfort talking about your body. Like you're, those are all words that you were inappropriate, you know, talking about words to describe your anatomy was on the same level as cursing. You know, like you can't say it. You can't say penis. You can't you definitely can't say vagina. Like you can't say those things in when you were a kid. Like I was taught no no square. You know, that's not Excuse me. Excuse me, wait a minute. The no no square, guys. Yeah. What is the no no square? I mean it's the no no square. I have no idea. That oh, is yeah. that is definitely something of your generation, not it's not a my generation. It's what I was taught was no no. <laughs> like as in don't touch that. Whether you're a boy, whether you're a girl, don't touch your vagina. It's a no-no square, hands off. And the funny thing is, like, boys were – girls, I think, felt shame around using these words. Like, I definitely was not comfortable saying vagina when I was 10. Um, But I feel like boys weren't ashamed of it, or maybe they were, but the way that they manifested it was with humor. (laughs) Right. So, like, boys were allowed to say it, but only – were allowed to say penis, but only if they were yelling it, you know, on the bus as a game, 
you know, there's a game. Oh yeah, the the penis game. It's where you uh you just progressively say the word penis louder and louder and louder until you're actually causing disruption, um, which I found out is actually alive and well because I was at a, a high school graduation party a few weeks ago and it started getting played and I'm like, there's no way, there's no way people are still playing the penis game, but of course they are because it's still a word that nobody wants to say unless they're making a joke about it. Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> And let's just say no one's going to be saying the vulva game. <laughs> no, that's true. Although I'm not sitting here on like, you know, pretending that I didn't play. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Did you win? I know you're quite competitive, Shannon. <laughs> no, I didn't win unless you consider it a win that when we used to play on the bus, sometimes the bus driver would pull over because it got so disruptive. <laughs> uh, the memories. Um, yeah, I don't know if it helps normalize the conversation to just yell penis out loud but it was a start i guess and i mean we were more comfortable saying that than anyone would have been comfortable saying vulva so maybe that's the next wave of (laughs) body positivity teaching body anatomy is you know don't stop playing the penis game but just also start playing the vulva game well and that's a point too that i know drives you know kind of drives you crazy a little bit but everyone talks about the woman's part of pleasure as being the vagina and it's not it's the vulva and the clitoris so maybe it should be the clitoris game because the clitoris is actually the homolog to the penis so i think that in your group shannon we should start that i mean i'm an adult <laughs> now so i'm not going to just like start the clit game but uh, here where you're coming from and we'll see what we can do um, <laughs> but i think the the greater point here is that you know it is more okay and it has been more okay for boys to talk about their parts than for girls, you know, cisgender boys, it's been more okay for them to talk about their parts than girls. Um, and obviously that has long-term effects for both, you know, for, for kids of bo- any gender. But I think girls in particular, understanding your body and understanding how your body works and your anatomy, if you don't get that education, that that's going to impact you in the long run. And it impacts especially that, um, that body shame because at least for boys, they were able to go into that room and they'd learn about, oh, you might have wet dreams. Girls never heard pleasure. And I've asked this of my classes when I teach human sexuality. And I said, how many of you have learned in school about your body parts as women? And universally, it's, I think I had one student who said that it was discussed. Mm-hmm. Usually for girls, it's just about the vagina because it's all about reproduction. Right. Um, so I'm going to take a minute and recommend a couple of books, and we're going to post them on our social media. Um, highly recommend for um, all genders. Uh, Becoming Clitorate is specifically the first part of the book is directed towards um, people with vulvas, but the second half, there's a whole like mini chapter that is for people who don't or want to please them. Um, and I also want to recommend um, Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. She is um, amazing. And if you don't feel like reading the book, find her TED Talks. She will, um, she talks so much about feeling comfortable about pleasure and comfortable about your body. And has a great, great chapter explaining how people with vulvas and people with penises are actually much more similar than we ever think. It's great to have those resources and we'll post them. But in that sense, it's like, hey, go get your own education, go figure it out. Um, Obviously, we also believe that this is something that needs to be discussed in in schools earlier. Um, So what do you say to parents whose reactions might be 
well, that's too soon. Or what if this makes my kid think about sex earlier or, you know, wants them, they want to be more sexually active because now they know how the body works. Well, that does tend to be the pushback. Like there is a presumption that if you talk about sex, people will think, young people will think about sex more. Now, let's just put, take that apart. Young people are thinking about sex. Right. They're thinking about right. it. Right. Whether it's, it's part of face. sex education or not, you're, yeah, they're thinking about Right. It. It's in their faces. It's on the media. It's in movies. It's in on Netflix shows. Everything. Well, and also, like, their older siblings are talking about it. Like, there's, there's just so many other channels that they're going to start thinking about sex in that to say – that school is the only avenue by which they would be introduced to it is just it's 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 insanity. Yeah. But what but what school is supposed to do is to introduce you to things in a trusted, mm-hmm. factual, credible environment. Do you really want our kids, your kids, your niece, your nephew learning about sex from the internet? That's <laughs> dumb. It's yeah. dumb. And so once again, I'm going to bring you all back to the Netherlands model. When Kids learn about sex at a young age. Sex stops being a big deal. It's going to be something that they can talk about, they can be positive about, and it becomes a choice. And kids who learn about their sexuality and about their bodies at a young age actually have sex at a later age because they know they want to wait till they're ready and responsible. They have conversations with trusted teachers, with trusted parents, with aunts, uncles, grandparents, because it's a conversation. It's not something that's like put in a corner like baby. Yeah, I think this isn't the same, but what it kind of reminds me of is like, if you if your family or your your parents or whatever let you have a sip of wine at the dinner table, exactly. you're not gonna like feel this, you know, need to kind of lose control and imbibe when you're in other situations. So it's like if you know about something and you're allowed to experience it and you're allowed to feel quote unquote normalized in those conversations, then it doesn't become something that you're like acting out to do. You know, like right. I'm not gonna go get trash at my first party because to me it's okay to sip alcohol. Like I don't, it doesn't have to go to the extreme. So I think we did that right with you. <laughs> yeah. Skipped out on having any kind of body talk, but we did drink early. So uh, yeah, that's good. Um, so, but I think what we're getting at here to kind of bring it back to the topic that we're looking at today with, with the quote unquote birds and the bees, which we are now going to never speak of ever again. The problem is that there's a focus on anatomy in schools and in sex ed in general, um, and it's not even comprehensive anatomy. And that leaves this disconnect between everything that makes sex good and healthy mentally, psychology, psychologically, and otherwise. And that is the responsibility of structured sex ed to address. It's also the responsibility of families and, you know, parents, whoever they're, you know, the the people are that are educating the young people in their life is to have conversations that connect anatomy and connect body to the overall well-being and holistic well-being of a, of a person. And and basically sex ed in this country is just about body parts. And and I want to just say it for a minute Older people too, mm-hmm. you know, people of my generation. What they're, t- what they've all learned is body parts, and now we're all starting to discover this more comprehensive sexuality in our own lives, not just in high school, not just in a school setting, but in our lives. So much more than parts, right? And let's just not just give the basic ingredients, right? 
Well, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, the way that it's taught right now is it's basically like saying, okay, here's a bunch of ingredients that you may or may not have seen before, but you don't get to have a recipe and you don't really actually get to have any understanding of how to cook properly. Um, and if we don't believe that you should be cooking at all, then you might like get salmonella. Like, it's just, <laughs> but it, it's like chopped for your body. Right. <laughs> <You're> right. Like, <laughs> here's a basket of a bunch of ingredients, but unless you're already or well-versed in it, then you're not going to know what to do with it. All right, um, and we're not going to teach you what to do with right. it. And, you, and we're not going to tell you that it's okay to cook and cooking's fun right. and you can add spices. <laughs> well, so many spices. That's the well, next episode. <laughs> we will we will devote an episode to spices because bringing it back it's to the spices. Well, spices are what once you learn about the basics, I mean, you know, you can cook a hamburger on a grill, but when you <laughs> add a little bit of cheese. It's too early. I'm some... getting hungry. Stop. <laughs> spice is the spice of life. No, I yes. Yeah, I think the the point being that it's something you build upon, right? And and this is what we'll talk about actually in our next episode because in the next episode we're going to talk about the talk. Um, but the idea that one conversation about anything isn't enough, whether it's the body talk or another talk. Like there's there just needs to be more ongoing conversations about this, which, you know, again, bringing it back to our charter. It's part of why we're doing this podcast. That's right. And so we'll we'll be debunking next week the myth that you only need one talk. Um, and we're going to really, um, I mean, I will say it'll probably be really geared um, to some extent to people who want to feel more comfortable talking about, um, talking with their kids. Um, but also I think it's going to be enlightening as a lifespan perspective on sexuality. So um, it will be emphasizing the continued conversation mm -hmm. around sexuality. Um, and to that extent, we'd love for our listeners to drop us some DMs, comments, emails, whatever, at sexeddebunked or sexeddebunked at gmail. Um, we'd love to hear about your sex talks that you had with parents, kids, friends, etc. Um, and also maybe your experience with body talks, a.k.a. Uh, what is now being struck down as birds and the bees. Yeah. So um, – I think there'll be some conversations about my failures, um, which I apologize again. But <laughs> part of the reason failure, I'm doing it's this, a learning experience. <laughs> I'm owning it. I'm taking responsibility for the fact that I may not have been the best that I could have been when you were younger, and trying to make it up this time around. So <laughs> better late than never, Mom. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but for now, thank you, Texas, for unofficially sponsoring our episode. Uh, <laughs> including debunking the myth about the birds and the bees and also, I guess, eugenics. Um, and thank you, as always, to our listeners for tuning in. Um, you want to say it, Mom? I'm going to say it. It's not all about the birds and the bees. Another myth. Put to bed. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. So remember to follow us on social at Sex Ed Debunked and stay tuned for next time when we put another myth to bed. See ya. Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode of Sex Ed Debunked. During the course of our podcast, we have limited time together, which means that unfortunately, many identities, groups, and movements may not be represented each week. The field of sexuality and gender orientations, identities, and behaviors are changing and growing rapidly, and we remain committed to being as inclusive as possible. Please remember that all of us, including us, are learning in this area and may occasionally slip up. 
We ask that we all continue to be kind to one another so that we can create a truly inclusive and accepting environment. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us at Sex Ed Debunked on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Sex Ed Debunked is produced by Trailblaze Media along with myself, Shannon Curley, and Christine Curley. From Trailblaze Media, our engineering is handled by Ezra Winters. Thank you.